This is CliffCentral.com. Good afternoon. You're tuned into the Daily Maverick Show. You're with me, Greg Nicholson. Your regular host, Kingsley Kapuri, is out of the province today. So we're going to be handling things. I'm joined by my colleague, uh, Richard Poplack. Richard, how are you doing? How are you, Greg? And that's um, hello to the listeners. I'm, I'm all right. Um, I think today we're going to have a little bit more of a therapy session than discussing oh, politics. I think we after last it. week, mm. after last week, we need to just debrief and sort of get on the couch and talk about things. So for those who haven't been reading Daily Maverick, you should start and read more and share widely. But last week, of course, was the ANC's fifth national policy conference. Fifth national policy conference, yeah. Held out at uh, Nazareth in Soweto, Johannesburg, and we had the pleasure? Nah. No, let's not, uh, <laughs> let's not misuse words. Um, it was not a pleasure. In fact, it was horrible. Um, it was horrible for a number of reasons. Um, primary among them, I'd say, is that Nazrek is not exactly the most welcoming facility on the planet. It's uh, built out of concrete and looks like it was made by, by the devil himself to mm. make journalists uncomfortable. The devil uh, when he dabbled in architecture. Exactly. Um, so before we get there, mm. let's sort of set the scene for this conference, sort of going yeah. into it, right? Mm. Um, I don't think it's an over-assumption to say, or I'm overstating it, to say that the ANC has been in disarray. Where the president has been loosely, or at least his son, um, linked to all these Gupta emails, which every day we've got a new leader of, of state-owned enterprises, government ministers, high-ranking ANC officials, and their family members being linked to basically allegations of corruption that as we're reporting them, could almost basically go straight to court and and proceed on, on strong corruption charges. And 100%. Then yeah. We've got different factions of the ANC attacking themselves, attacking each other in public. We've got, you know, on the one, on the one side, you've got um, the MK Vets, uh, the Youth League, the Women's League, going hard at what we call ANC stalwarts, mm-hmm. um, guys like Pravin Gordon, um, Cyril Ramaphosa. They're just at each other's throats, which I actually can't remember happening... In all my time covering covering the ANC, mm-hmm. there might have been some of this, you know, in the lead up to Mangung, but it's intense at the no, moment. No, nowhere near this intense, no. Um, and mm-hmm. to add to that, we've got this total shit show in the economy. And, you know, we've been downgraded to junk status. Yep. Unemployment is... Is it record highs or is it record highs for the last 10 years? Uh, record highs for the last 10 years. But again, we don't look at, uh, we don't look at real unemployment, I don't believe, which is significantly mm-hmm. higher. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what they're saying is by 2018, uh, the, the, the sort of, um, the net unemployment will be at around 29%, which will be, I think, the highest ever. Mm. Um, the official unemployment, unofficial will be much, much higher than that. I think nudging into the 40s, mm-hmm. uh, which, which, you know, equates with economy, middle-income economies that are in complete crisis, like Greece. Um, you, you know, countries that are are well acknowledged to be in a complete economic meltdown. Um, we're in a recession. Just to add to your litany of of disasters, we're in a we're in a recession. Um, crime stats have crept up. Um, obviously, the violence against women um, has has sort of flared up this year uh, in in no uncertain terms. Um, I think I mentioned to you a couple of days ago that every time I go out and ride my bicycle, um, I come across the sort of archaeological remains of a very, very recent protest. Um, we're talking about communities all over the country. 
um, on on Sunday I was uh, I was by Hout, Hout Bay in Cape Town, um, in the East Rand, in the West Rand, mm-hmm. um, anywhere in Gauteng you name. Uh, coming here today, I had to avoid the the, the N3. Um, the, the the country is is slowly creeping towards a sort of net ungovernability, um, and that's the sort of context that this that this fifth policy contract. Uh, conference encounters. And then to mention a couple of other ANC issues, ANC obviously lost the key metros in Johannesburg, yes. Twine, Nelson Mandela mm-hmm. Bay, as well as a number of other areas around the country in last year's elections. Mm-hmm. And the alliance with Kasatu and the SACP is looking as fractured as it's ever been. Yeah. Let, let's go back just a little bit before the conference started. Did you have any hope that either would see any positive policy proposals for what you know the ANC calls organizational renewal the mm-hmm. ANC being able to self correct or for the ANC coming up with any ideas about actually solving all of these or any of these problems that we've been mentioning well i mean th- there's one sort of fundamental conundrum that comes in when you're talking about ANC policy or organizational re- renewal and that is that the national development plan is effectively the ANC's policy so you have this policy framework that has never been implemented and has barely been opened by anyone within the organization to the, to, to, so far as I can tell. Um, that's the ANC's policy. So now we're entering into the, um, now we're entering into these, these policy co- conversations. We've been handed the nine documents. We were handed that in January or February, Greg. Mm. I can't, I can't remember. That was February. Around sort of earlier in the year when I've had rolling sort of press conferences supposedly to brief us on that, but they yeah. always get distracted on, on all this other shit going on exactly but we dutifully read those those nine policy points and in some cases they appear to be tweaks of of what was already established policy but we knew going into this policy conference that effectively it was a proxy battle for the two factions within the ANC we have what were called the constitutionalists on one side Ramaphosa and his faction um Derek Hanakom Pravin Gordon the stalwarts um and uh some of the more centrist or right right wing ANC um ANC cadres. Um, on the other hand, we have what we call, and I, I, I use very big scare quotes in this, the radicals. Uh, in fact, I'd argue that they're reactionaries. Um, but um, the, the radicals who are intent on cracking open the Constitution and circumventing the Constitution in order to ostensibly um, radically transform the, the economy. But uh, as we've seen and as we've proven at the Daily Maverick and with our, with our friends at Amabungani, without a shadow of the doubt, the project is, is effectively one of systematically, <coughs> systematically looting state-owned uh, enterprises for the enrichment of a very, very narrow set of uh, cadres and their backers, mainly the Gupta family. That's the battle lines. That those are the ones that, that have been drawn. And to say, uh, was I expecting any substantive policy conversations or organizational renewal um, sort of uh, precepts to be put on the table? Uh, absolutely not. Mm. Um, we got, I think, what any um, what any thinking person would have imagined we would get, and that is a full-blown war. I think for me, before the policy conference started, I think it was the day before or two days before, I covered this press briefing from the 101 ANC stalwarts mm. who have spoken out strongly against what's happening in the party. Um, and effectively, they called for a consultative conference, Correct, yeah. which I'm not sure if a lot of people know, but there's have had a few of them in the past, as we know about mm. it in the ANC, where they essentially just have a sort of conference to sit aside and say, look, things aren't good at the moment. We need to deal with what's going on right now before we actually take things forward into another conference, which 
will just be sidelined and distracted. Mm-hmm. And the SACP has called for something similar. Mm-hmm. For me, when, when, when this idea was essentially rejected, that was when it was clear that, that we're going to see more of the same. Because the argument for such a consultative conference is that you can't have the same guys running a conference, that they're implicated in all of the scandal, all of the problems of the party, um, and then hope that they will end up sorting everything out. It just doesn't work that way. No, self-regulation never works. Right? That's right. It just doesn't. Um, I, I think one of the one of the key sort of the key sort of historical um, moments that the ANC that the current ANC seems to point to is the Magoro Goro conference in 1969, mm. which was a reset and of almost three decade slide um, of the party. Um, and it was this sort of reset button that is constantly referred to as the example of the fact that the ANC has its own sort of rejuvenation elements mm-hmm. built into its organizational structures. And on the first morning of the policy conference, right before dropping a very uh, explosive um, diagnostic document, a diagnostic report on the uh, – on, on, on his fellow ANC, uh, cadres, uh, Secretary General Gwede Mantashe spoke to me about this notion of organizational renewal when I said to him, look, this, isn't this policy conference just going to be another proxy battle? Why are we here? Why are we subjecting ourselves to Nazareth, uh, of all places? And, and once again, he referenced the, the sort of, the, the disarray leading up to 1969 and the, um, and the sort of rejuvenation that occurred in Magoro Magoro, which ended up with the liberation of South Africa in 1989. So, or 1990. So, you know, that's kind of what we were being pitched from the outset. Um, But it clearly seemed that that was impossible. And it doesn't seem to be any willingness to have such a conference like that 1969 example. Like, I think it's fascinating back then how... So, you know, the now much celebrated, uh, struggle, struggle leader, Chris Harney, mm-hmm. was the author of what we called the Harney Memorandum, yes. where he, he submitted to ANC leadership, he and I think it was six or seven other comrades, submitted to ANC leadership a document outlining all of the problems they had in the camps, mm-hmm. and what was going on in exile, and all of, all of the rot that he saw would prevent them from achieving their goals of liberating South Africa. Yes. He and his, his other, um, comrades were basically lynched. For that, mm-hmm. and they they eventually got back into the party after this conference was held. But it's funny looking at now how things are being things are going on, where anyone who almost speaks out is seen as a as a traitor, as a traitor. And, and I mean, I think two very interesting without things. without realizing the irony of yeah, not not learning from that yeah. lesson. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, while while talking about that lesson constantly, oh, this, 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 this organization can renew because of, you know, look back at the Hani look back at Mogorogoro, look, look at this, look at this, look at this. So what happens on, on the first day of the policy conference? The first thing is the, is, 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 uh, is the diagnostic report, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, will the diagnostic r- report be, uh, adopted and, and, and discussed or will it not be di- uh, adopted and discussed? What is involved in the diagnostic report? Well, first of all, it actually name checks the Guptas. It says this organization has been captured by a family uh-huh. called the Guptas, and we need to deal with that significantly. We need to deal with corruption. We need to deal with factionalism. We need to deal with the buying of branches. We need to deal with a whole bunch of stuff that is impeding the growth of the organization. This stuff needs to be it needs to be discussed, and that's the first sort of major factional battle that that takes place at the conference. But at the same time, Jacob Zuma, in his opening address, uh, goes after the Stalwarts pretty hard. 
calls them, I, I think he actually referred to them as so-called stalwarts. That's right. I mean, we're talking about 101 of the organization's most revered figures, uh, people who really were in the trenches, who really did fight for the libera- liberation of this country. And there were many, many, many people in the ANC delegations who did not fight for the liberation of this country. Um, they're professional, um, professional milkers. Um, but we're talking about, we're talking about real people who said, we have a problem here. This organization is not working. We need to fix it. And Jacob Zuma went after them and effectively mocked them mm. in his opening address in a way that was, I would have, I would say extraordinarily distasteful. Um, and I think that set the tone for the entire policy conference. Mm-hmm. Um, among those one, 101 stalwarts that for sure they've taken way, way too long to speak, but there's some really respectable folk and I thought it was disgusting. I think not only that, in his, in his opening address, Zuma also went off script and questioned the role of the courts in democracy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially saying that opposition parties lose votes in parliament. So they take their issues to the courts where they win in the courts. Mm-hmm. And he kept on asking, is this the sort of democracy we wanted? We have to debate this thing, which is essentially, and obviously it's impossible to ignore that the president keeps on being held accountable to the, and his comrades keep on being held accountable by the courts. So it looks like he's coming after the one institution right. that is actually able to, to, to hold him to account. But before we get into some of the more, some more detailed issues from the policy conference, mm-hmm. Are you able to just describe for us what it was like as journalists at Nazarek? Well, well, mm-hmm. s- s- some of just your general observations, but also some of how we were isolated and heavily denied access to to the delegates. Well, I think there's another little bit of context here, which is interesting, and that is that the theme park. Well, <laughs> well there's the theme park, but there's also there's also this the um, we'll get to the theme park in a moment. Um, but there's also the context of, um, Black First, Land First going to Peter Bruce's house, um, right before the policy conference and making a statement. Um, again, Black First, Land First are, uh, Gupta proxies. Uh, I think we've established with nary a shadow of the doubt that, uh, they're funded by the Guptas or at least through the Gupta, uh, the Gupta sort of propaganda army showing up at a prominent journalist's home. And, uh, basically 20 of these idiots making a bit of a noise. Um, Suna Fenter, the SABC journalist who had been massively harassed by the SABC, she passed away. Uh, and there was a couple of other journalists as well who were either sick or had also passed away that week for causes unknown. But it, it seemed there was a real grimness in the press room that I, I hadn't really encountered before. I mean, there's even among competing uh, publications, there's, you know, there's a fair amount of bonhomie. We all, we're all in the same, we're all in the same bag. This just felt grim. Um, and what effectively had happened, Greg, as you know, is that we were walled off. We were fenced off from the, the, the delegates. We're like animals in a zoo. So on the one end, there's Nazareth where everything is happening. We had two opportunities to follow the deputy president, Sarah Ramaphosa, around the actual convention floor and a day later the president himself um they did not take questions they made a bunch of banal prepared statements um we could not interrogate them on what they said nor could we ask them about the uh about the conference itself and that was that that was the only two times we were allowed into the grounds um so it was uh it, it set sort of a, a sort of a depressing precedent, especially coming into the electoral conference this uh, this December. I think we're going to be heavily denied uh, access, um, and and we had to work very very hard to to a 
um, get information from our sources and B, uh, to capture whatever leaks we could to try to get some understanding of what was going on in this, in this conference. The, the lack of transparency, I think, was scary. And I remember when on the last day we were waiting to go inside, you know, they brought us, allowed us once again, you know, to, to rush up to the hall and, and go inside so we'd be able to see President Zuma's closing address. Mm. And there was a moment where I realized there was like a few of us journalists just standing around, you know, having a cigarette because we we're, you know, waiting as, as you do. And I looked behind me and there was a security guard basically standing right behind us, clearly sort of guarding us. Mm. And so another ANC official walks over and says, you can't take any pictures of the delegates. And at this point, none of us, the three or four people I was standing around with had a camera with them. We just had our phones, you know, tweeting or whatever we were doing. And so the level level of um, paranoia and secrecy, I just found bizarre. And it's it's particularly scary considering we're seeing the same things happen in state, state institutions. Um I think the first time I noticed a real ramp up in, in the paranoia was in the, um, Port Elizabeth, um, launch of the, um, of the local government election manifestos in, in, in PE, uh, last year, I think it was, Jack. I'm losing track of time. Mm. I have no idea what year it is anymore. <laughs> um, and it was chilling. I mean, just covering Jacob Zuma on the grounds there. Um, the security guards were, you know, real, real pushy. And that sort of started to get a, give, give us, give one a sense of, of kind of the ramp up and paranoia that's happened ever since then. Um, and it's only gotten worse. Uh, th- there really is a us versus them mentality now that is completely entrenched in the, in the relations between, between the government. Um, the, the spokespeople have gotten more, um, more uh, belligerent. And um, there was a real effort this time out at the policy conference to contain as many leaks as possible. Um, and they did that very, very badly, and they'll continue to do that badly because in a sinking ship, there is many a leak. This policy conference, I think, there was a lot of talk about how the economic issues, economic discussions would be a proxy battle mm. for essentially uh, between Cyril Ramaphosa's camp and Kosozana Tlamini Zuma and, and President Zuma's mm-hmm. camps ahead of the December ANC elections. And a lot of what was focused on was actually battles over language. So white minority capital versus minority mm-hmm. capital. Radical economic transformation versus radical socioeconomic transformation. Mm-hmm. And delegates, we were told, spent hours and hours debating this, and that's what you know a lot of these headlines were. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people out there that would say, why does this matter? Who cares about these half one-word differences when, as we listed before, the country is facing so many challenges right now? Well, it's politics that's most banal and stupid, without question, but... Uh, much as, you know, the ANC is not a democratic organization. No one should be fooled into thinking that. Um, and, and effectively what, what happens in, in these conferences is that the battle for who leads and who makes the decision is fought at the delegate level. I mean, I think that's clear to most people who observe the organization. So you have these old, sort of old school Soviet Stalinist battles over terminology. Because what does the terminology suggest? Not that there's a serious idea to be questioned about policy, but that a certain terminology is, is, is linked to a certain faction, right? And one can get the sense of the momentum of the conference, of who has the weight of the numbers behind which particular um, terminology is adopted to explain a particular phenomenon. 
right? Now, if that doesn't make you, you want to hit your head against the wall, given the fact that there are, you know, the country's in a recession and food prices keep rocketing up, I don't know what will. I mean, it's, it's, it's just embarrassing and dispiriting to, to sort of, to sort of come, come into contact with this kind of idiocy. That said, the economic, uh, uh, the economic transformation commission, the two of, there were two of them, I think three and four, commission three and four were, were economic transformation commissions. Um, you're exactly right. That's where the proxy battle for, for the, the soul of the party is effectively being fought. Um, what are the key points? The South African Reserve Bank. That's one. A state bank. That's another. Um, is monopoly capital, everyone agrees on the fact that there's monopoly capital. Is it white? Or are there other characteristics that describe this phenomenon? Um, what does radical socio-economic transformation mean rather than radical economic transformation? I think the Cyril Ramaphosa camp would suggest that what it means is that radical economic transformation will transfer all of the funds um, from the current elite, the white elite, into the hands of a narrow black elite, whereas radical socio-economic trans- transformation will transfer will be a much more broad-based program of, of redistribution and transformation. I've never heard it described that eloquently, <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe I should become a <laughs> spokesperson for the ANC. But effectively, these are all sort of proxy battles um, that that are attached to one camp camp or another. Um, that is, we were very lucky in that we, we got some very good access. Um, the Daily Maverick got some very good access inside the, the, um, economic transformation commissions and we got a real sense of how vicious those battles actually were. And they were extraordinarily vicious, as you know. That, that, that is the war right there. If we're looking at the economic transformation commissions, um, we both sat through, sat through the, the feedback press mm. conferences on mm. that. First of all, reading sort of the tea leaves, which which way, which camp do you think it went to um, on these issues? Was it was it the Ramaphosa camp or the Nkosazana Tlumini Zuma camp? Because it's largely been interpreted as as sort of an indication on some of these issues that Ramaphosa had actually garnered a bit of support. Yeah, I think that that, that would be one of the inter- interpretations. We we knew going in that this was fifty one forty nine. And no one knew who, who had, who had the 51 and who knew the 49. We're very, very split. I think the Ramaphosa camp was quite shocked at how, um, prepared the Zuma faction was, at how vicious they were prepared to push their, uh, initiatives, um, and at how much traction their initiatives got within these delegations. So I, I think that's number one. Um, our, our sources told us that they were shocked at how, at how hardcore the Zuma faction came to play. That's number one. Number two, in terms of in terms of the adoption adoption of specific terminologies like monopoly capital and radical socio-economic transformation, which seems to be the two major things that emerge from the uh, from the economic uh, transformation commissions, that would indicate that things went Ramaphosa's way. That said, Zuma's a pretty good fighter, and rolling over on two things where they effectively don't mean anything. Where, where the substantive, um, issues like cracking open the South African Reserve Bank, um, initiating the first steps of setting up a state bank, right? Those real substantive issues are, and of course we haven't even touched on, um, uh, land, the uh, land reform. That's right. Right? So those things were left for another day. Mm. 
right? So it's very interesting to see how a couple of concessions have been made to the Ramaphosa camp while the real, real, real issues have been kicked for touch, mm. effectively. And it's going to have to go down to the wire in December to see whether or not the Reserve Bank is going to be, is going to be meddled with, um, whether or not the, the Constitution is going to have to be re- reworked in, in order to change the Reserve Bank's mandate, whether or not the Constitution is going to have to be um, you, know, you know, fiddled with in order to deal with the land, the very real land issues in this country. So, you know, all of this stuff is, is pending. So on the proxy battles between the factions at the economic commissions, the conversation and actual real decisions has essentially been delayed until December. Correct. And we didn't see any real proposals come up to actually fix the economy either. Nothing. So no, no one has said, other than sending um, the, the much-loved Malusi Gagaba out to uh, mumble things to, to business delegations and sending them out to London and, and New York City and other sort of institutions where capital is, is, is exchanged. Um, you know, w- w- there's no plan. There's no plan to fix this economy. Everything, everything is on, effectively on hold until the electoral conference, which is remarkably dangerous. As, we, as we've seen today, I mean, the markets, the RAND took a bath today and the markets plunged. Essentially, we know that to fix any of these issues and actually turn the country around, the ANC itself needs to be fixed or we're going to continue declining and, and obviously um, who's in power will eventually change. But the ANC can't really tackle issues of actual substantive positive issues until it can deal with its – get its house in order. Did you see any indications on organizational renewal, um, on unity, on on the electoral the, – its internal election process that it has a strong commitment to sorting these issues out? None. None whatsoever. I mean, the first issue and the most important issue is the buying of branches. So there's so much money sloshing around the ANC, especially from the Premier League provinces, the Free State and Pumalanga and um, – uh, and, uh, the Free State and Pum, why am I drawing a bank? Doesn't matter. Northwest. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've. <laughs> no, Northwest. Um, Nazrik, Nazrik melted my brain. Uh, the, this, the, the money sloshing around from the Premier League provinces is so significant that it is going to have an effect on how branches vote. Um, rumors are emerging that about a million rand a pop is being paid out to branch heads, uh, in order to sway their, sway their votes, uh, going forward. So that's kind of where, that's kind of where the issues lie. Uh, so in terms of real organizational renewal, what was the big pitch that was made that was by the president? And he said, look, why don't we do it this way? The winner gets to be president. The loser gets to be dep- deputy president of the factional battles. And that way we're all a happy family and we all get to stick together and there's no split in the ANC. It's, it's a totally absurd su- uh, suggestion. It reminded me of when I when I heard this. So we read about it in the papers and stuff mm. in the in the days before, and supposedly this policy was defeated. You know, it was all sort of you know as everything was pushed forward to be discussed mm. in December, but but shot down. You know, by by a lot of delegates in the commission. And now when Zuma, you know, goes off script again mm-hmm. to in his closing address <laughs> in yeah. his, in his closing address to essentially sell this proposal to delegates and and <coughs> excuse me. Say that he's willing to tour the country, um, to, 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 to back, to back this proposal and, and visit branches. It just reminded me of a parent with their children, you know, saying, oh, okay, you, you've got a lollipop. I'll give you a lollipop too. Yeah. 
It's just even if it isn't your birthday, you get a present. As you well, get to also blow out the candles. Everyone's a winner. It, it was absurd. The other thing, of course, is, is widening the top six to a top nine. So two deputy presidents and, I don't know, 15 general, general secretaries and deputy general secretaries. I mean, everybody, again, everybody is a winner. It's like how millennials were raised or something, you know, just, just for showing up, you get a prize. You know, well done. Um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, complete, complete disarray, complete just, disorganization. Just to play devil's advocate, why wouldn't that sort out the ANC's factional problems. Well, just because you have a whole bunch of people from either side of the factional battle within within one of these within one of these top six or top nine or top fifty institutions, we've seen with the NEC. I mean, effectively, the top six would become you know start chasing the NEC in terms of in terms of size and capacity. So again, it, it would just be another another version of where the bun fight would take place. The president. And here's the key. So many of the policies, the hidden policies in this, in this policy conference, conference accrue more power to the presidency. Mm. That's effectively what's happened over the course of this fake democracy is that more and more power has been, has been accrued by the executive, right? Has been handed over to the executive. So think about it. You have an executive holding even more power than he did with Zuma, right? So who, whomever he or she happens to be, that president has unprecedented executive powers. Right, you have effectively what is a top nine, twelve, six, who are lame ducks, right, sitting there under the presidency. But what you've done is because the loser is still kept in the ANC, you've avoided a split. Mm-hmm. Right, everyone said, uh, you, you know, he he suggested that the the deputy becomes the deputy be uh, uh, the loser becomes the deputy because he's afraid that his camp is gonna is is gonna is gonna lose. No, he's afraid that his camp is gonna win. And where the win becomes a loss is if the ANC splits, right? And the party has to now, at the polls, the Zuma faction now at, at the actual polls has to go up against, let's say, for for want of uh, argument, a Ramaphosa centrist faction with even breakaway elements of the DA involved, mm-hmm. right? That's where he knows everything is gone in 2019. So that's why his proposal was was was, was made. I don't know why it seems like this. Personally, it seems like a split is so hard to fathom, or even though I know there was cope. I know we have EFF. Mm-hmm. Kasatu has recently split. But still, it sort of seems... And I also, if I look at the situation rationally, it looks very possible. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of only until these things actually happen do they seem conceivable. Yes, you're exactly right. I think, I think we can look around the world to, to, to get a sense of how quickly and how vertiginously, um, political watersheds can occur. And I mean, the, the most recent and, and best example, I think, is, is France with, uh, with Macron. I mean, there you have a guy whose, whose party did not exist, right? He comes in, he walks into the presidency, and then whatever rump party he, he cobbles together in, uh, in the lower houses, takes the day and all of a sudden the politics in france have been rewritten within the matter of i think it was about six weeks yep right with shocking rapidity so i think we need to be very very careful about saying that things can't change here because they can and they will how i mean we can't sit here and prognosticate right away you know here in this room before we go um what should we be be looking out for ahead of the december congress (laughs) <laughs> Pretty much everything. I don't, I, I don't even know dragons, unicorns. Um, I, I, you know, 
uh, one so thing I'm one thing yeah. I'm looking out for is when Nkosazana Tlamini Zuma hits the campaign trail again. She's yeah, almost she's, she's almost break. gone missing. Yeah, she's gone missing. She 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 started out strong yeah. and has just sort of you know slept through both of Zuma's speeches. On you know what she looked? It looked like she was just like I've listened to I listened to this guy for sixteen years <laughs> when we were married. I cannot listen to another fucking word he says. That's what her face looked like to me. She just wants that guy gone, right? Uh, that said, um, yeah, when does she hit the campaign trail again? And that's definitely something to look look out for. And again, watching her language. And her choice of verbiage is going to be very, very interesting as she as she goes back to to war effectively. Uh, watching Ramaphosa, um, he's also sort of sort of he hasn't been as quiet as she has, but uh, but he's also been a little bit quiet. And then the the dark horses, right? Uh, Black and better. I mean, I'd I'd call her a you know a, you know a huge outside chance. But again, weirder things have happened. Weirder things have happened. Zuela Makize, watching him, I think is interesting. Um, so there's, there's kind of lots of, I mean, US Sulu, Matthew yeah, 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 of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, we've got to do this all day, right? That's right. Yeah, right down to, I don't know, Andile Lungisa. Yeah, you know, it's, there, there's a big list. And then, of course, watching the Premier League. Is that, is that going to hold, right? Are, are these, are these two factions going to hold? Um, will, will a breakaway be flouted prior to the electoral conference should the Ramaphosa faction realize that they don't they're not going to go in there with anything approaching a quorum mm. so it's there's so much stuff that can happen on top of which um we 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 barely touch sides on those emails right there's other bombs we know newswise are going to drop um is one of those news bombs going to be the definitive one that breaks open everything and and basically wipes the ANC out um I don't know. So before we let you go, Richard, um, I was talking to, to one of the ANC delegates uh, who, who attended the conference, mm. and he was, I guess, was in despair that the ANC could not acknowledge the problems it's going through. Mm-hmm. And he essentially said that if the party can't acknowledge the challenges it faces right now, it can't do anything to rectify them. So the obvious question is, what, what's going to happen to the ANC? His answer was, the movement, as we know it, is going to die. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Yes, yes, I do. So, look, look and I mean, th- there's there's many, many, many people in this country, and, and of course, we're ignoring the fact that that uh, that the the party has a massive rural base, um, and and will always have that rural base. I think, or at least for the next fifteen, twenty years. Um, in terms of an urban party, it's dead. It's gone. Um, it'll never regain these metros. I don't think. Um, and of effectively it's in its death throes and whatever emerges from it will be a very very different beast again very much a rural party based with with its sort of plurality in 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 kzn uh now that shouldn't be surprising i mean organizations die um the republican party in the united states another for instance from from around the world is currently leading it's not the republican party anymore right they're running the country but they're not the, the, the president is an outsider. He has no association with that party. And what he's doing is systematically destroying it with every decision that they make. So these things happen, and they happen in very, very weird ways. Um, the ANC is part, once again, of what I would consider to be a, a much larger global ph- phenomenon of these big establishment parties having been associated with so many scandals, having done such a poor job of managing the economy, of managing the social transformation issues in the country that there's just no way they're going to last it out. 
There you have it, Richard Poplack, Daily Maverick journalist. Thanks you, thanks very much for coming in. My pleasure. To the listeners, please share this widely. Subscribe on iTunes or whichever podcasting app you happen to use. Yeah, we're agnostic. That doesn't matter. That's right. Mm-hmm. There we. That's fi- the final word. Mm-hmm. Daily Maverick is agnostic. Yes, exactly. Uh, tune in next week. We'll be with you soon. My name is Greg Nicholson. Um, stay tuned and have a great week. This is cliffcentral.com.